Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. By Ziptility, the only app utility crews need to find, fix, and manage infrastructure assets from the field. By Intera, geoscience and engineering solutions. By Xylem, let's solve water. And by the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. This is session 179. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGibson. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you for joining me. And as always, I hope this finds you safe and healthy amidst the public health crisis we are embroiled in. We've got another great episode for you today. We've got Ari Goldfarb. Ari is the CEO of CanDo and CanDo specializes in wastewater data analysis and providing actionable insights for wastewater systems based on CanDo's proprietary analysis. So Ari does a great job. Uh, you'll really enjoy this this uh, uh, interview and and taking in Ari's perspective on how wastewater systems operate and how, how data can be used to more efficiently operate them and manage them. But first, as always, a little housekeeping. A hearty thank you to our sponsors. Again, those great sponsors are Black and Veatch, Ziptility, Intera, Xylem and the American Water Works Association. Thank you again to all of those great, terrific sponsors. And I'd like for you to do me a favor, if you could, please, if you work with or for any of these sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at that sponsor's firm and let them know that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that little simple note of thanks will go. Also, if you're a student and you're interviewing with a job for one of these great companies, let them know that you you appreciate them sponsoring the Water Values podcast. I uh, would would really appreciate that. Again, that little note of thanks goes a long way. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Castbox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on? That'd be greatly appreciated. And of course, it always helps in helping others find out about the podcast. We also have a Bluefield on Tap segment this week, uh, and today Reese Tisdale is going to dive in on Algonquin's play in the Chilean water sector. We'll talk a little about uh, privatization and O&M agreements, and with that, let's flip it over to Reese for this week's Bluefield on Tap segment. Here we go. Well, Reese, welcome back for another Bluefield on Tap segment. How you doing? Good, Dave. It's... Uh... It's good. I have nothing else. To say. <laughs> well, the Dodgers are World Series champions, and uh, there's a, yeah, there's always next year. There's always next year for the Mariners. Uh, Red Sox have already had their 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 time in the sun, so it, it's a little painful watching Mookie Betts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, what what's on your mind today? There, I know there's been a lot going on in uh, in the water sector. So, what what kind of is has caught your eye? It's craziness. Um, I think what's interesting to me, I mean, we talked a little bit about this and that was, you know, I think it was at last time we talked, I think we even, or at least an episode or two ago, we talked a little bit about Suez. Well, this kind of ties to that and what's happening, not just 
with Suez uh, potentially being potentially being acquired by Veolia. But they just sold off some assets in Chile, uh, Aguas Andinas. They sold off a 93% stake of a utility there that serves about 230,000 connections. And they sold it to none other than Liberty Utilities or Algonquin is probably a better way to put it, the Canadian uh, water and power uh, and gas firm. So it's really interesting to see that the Canadians are now in Chile. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, Liberty's been pretty aggressive, right? So, or excuse me, Algonquin, we were just, uh, as you mentioned, uh, what's, what do you think's feeding that? What? Well, I think, well, for what it's worth, just, um, you know, their water business runs under Liberty Utilities. So excuse the uh, confusion, at least on my end. But what's interesting is they do have new leadership. So the original founders have stepped aside. And they have some new management up top over the past, uh, since the beginning of the year, I guess, and maybe even beginning of the years when they stepped in. They've actually acquired a power utility in Bermuda. Uh, that was a bit of a signal. And then I think also the Aguas Andinas deal, Chile, is a, it's a fully privatized market. So in many respects, it's sort of like the U.K. in that all the utilities are private. And it's now the way to get into it, you have to buy it an asset from someone else essentially is how it works. And so I think there's a little bit of activity happening because of Suez is going through its uh, Suez 2030 restructuring plan and they offloaded some assets. So they put those on, on the market, even brought it up last year. And I think Liberty and Algonquin have been, you know, opportunistic. They saw an opportunity to get into what Chile is an OECD country has historically been pretty stable, at least since the 80s. Now, they're going through some turmoil right now, which is is another issue that's probably worth noting. But now they have a footprint in the Americas. So that means could they potentially, one, expand in Chile uh, to other areas, but also there may be opportunities to, you know, move into places like could be Colombia or Brazil is privatizing as well. They've got some activity going on there as well. Yeah, I've heard there's a lot going on in Brazil in terms of uh, their, their new water legislation and, and things of that nature. Um, uh, in, in terms of the uh, Liberty's footprint, though, they've been active in the U.S. too. I mean, they did they uh, acquire New York American? Is that Yeah, my- so I think that deal is still pending. So I think as far as our numbers go, they've basically doubled in size uh, over the last 12 months. Uh, the deals aren't fully approved, but uh, so what they're adding is basically 125,000 connections uh, in New York, and that's going through the regulatory process. And then secondly, the the Chile piece, which I guess net is about 213,000 uh, connections. So it's a big jump for them. And what's also interesting is just in the context, as we've talked about, a lot of the private water acquisitions, particularly in the U.S., are pretty small. Um, You know, we're talking thousands of connections. We're not talking hundreds of thousands. So 125,000 connection deal is a big deal. So good for them. And they're also in a big market. Yeah. What what do you think... um... Uh, you, you know, we've, we've talked about the number of deals is, is in the past, we've talked about the number of deals kind of, uh, being on the, on the up. And what about, how does, how does this impact the O&M contract operations market? You know, we're, we're seeing a lot of acquisitions, but 
is the O&M side keeping up? Are, are, are government-owned utilities looking more and more to the O&M contract operations market? Yeah. Yeah, I think we see – we anticipate more activity there. It's been in the news because of, you know, some big deals sort of in play, Veolia, and there's discussion about Inframark as well. But I think also utilities, because particularly the smaller ones, they are so dependent on revenues. And it's it's a tough market for everybody right now. You know, if you have large industrial uh, customers or commercial customers, your revenues may be way down. So I think every utility operator, you know, the owners are going to have to squeeze more blood from the stone. And how can they do that? Are there potentially ways of outsourcing to signing longer-term contracts? And it could be three, five, ten-year deals in which someone else can come in through scale, deploy new systems, new technologies, but also take a more uh, sophisticated uh, approach to managing the system. So we expect to see more activity there. Yeah, and I, I assume the uh, the acquisitions you're it, that's going to be consistent with what we've uh, we've talked about in the past. You still see a big big uh, opportunity there for for system acquisitions. Yeah, I think we see that. You know, I don't want to get everybody's hopes up. At least the IOUs. I think <laughs> that it takes so long, as you well know. I think our average is about two hundred twenty days per deal. So. It takes a while for that to happen. The contract operations, it's, there's a bit more flexibility. Um, and it's also not a full privatization as well. You can always get out of those contracts. There's a, at least an exit door um, yeah. down the road, whereas the privatization, it, you know, you got to sit down with the city council and the town, you know, and the mayor and everybody else. So a full acquisition is not always the easiest thing to do. Yeah, good deal. All right. Well, um, is there anything else that that you kind of see in the this this you know market for O and M and 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 system acquisition that we ought to be aware of? I mean, I would just say there are going to be some big deals coming. There may be some horse trading of of uh, contracts uh, potentially going forward, but also there are smaller deals. I think like whether it be H two O Innovation has bought a couple. Uh, contract operations uh, companies over the past, uh, I'd say, six months. So it's interesting to see activity happening there. I think the other part of it is also expansion of some of those contracts. There's real opportunity to con- to grow beyond just operating the system. There can be it can move further into billing. It can move into just you know more asset management. Um, that I think a lot of these operators are looking to do as well. Yeah. Good deal. All right. Well, Reese, as always, really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on and sharing some of your knowledge. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. Bye. All right. See you. As always, Reese provides terrific information and we really appreciate Bluefield Research's willingness to come on and share that information with you, the listeners. Now it's time to get on to our feature interview with Ari Goldfarb, the CEO of CanDo. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Ari, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So glad you could come on. I know we got a big time differential uh, between us, so I appreciate you carving out some time at the tail end of your your day. Uh, you know, how are you doing? You know, what's what's going on in your world these days? Thank you, David. Happy to be here. So things uh, here in Israel are quite calm now. We are after the first uh, pandemic wave, and uh, things get to uh, new uh, reality. So it's uh, 
it's it's kind of normal, new normal now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, tell us a little about your uh, background and how you kind of came to the water sector. So, um, as a kid, I was born very close to the Mediterranean, and I spent most of my childhood uh, in the sea, actually learning to surf, I think before I learned to walk <laughs> and, and, and diving in the sea before I learned to run. So um, uh, water was part of my life all the time. And I've seen the changes in the sea. I've seen changes in water and what happens in terms of getting more and more pollution into the seas. And I think from very early age, that was something that... Uh, well, it was very clear to me inside that this is something I want to focus later on. I studied environmental, environmental engineering uh, and later on worked at a process engineer in treatment plant, worked for water utilities, engineering firm, and 2012 uh, founded Kandu with the co-founders. Yeah, so uh, you, you founded this firm. What, what does uh, Kandu do? Okay. Um, so, can do uh, use data from wastewater to enable uh, water utilities to improve the city's public health and the environment. We collect data from wastewater collection systems, analyze it, and bring water utility insights about the wastewater quality in the collection system. That, okay, so uh, tell me, like, what what are the like the main factors you're looking at when you analyze? Is it is it specific system by system, or are there just a general set of of things you know data that you're looking for? What 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 does that data harvesting entail? Maybe looking in the a brighter way of the way we look at uh, data from a collection system. So the way water utilities and the market works right now is that wastewater is flowing into treatment plant, and there we treat the wastewater. Uh, I used to be a process engineer in one of the advanced treatment plant in Israel, maybe one of the one of, one of the advanced treatment plant in the world, and we were focusing on how we can treat the wastewater in a more efficient way and took the wastewater quality that's coming into the treatment as an obvious. It's something that we have to deal with. Later on, I worked as an uh, engineer, engineering firm and designed treatment plant, uh, and there we designed treatment plant. We designed great treatment plant with great technologies, and we always have a joke that the, the problem is the wastewater. Our treatment plants are great because uh, uh, wastewater doesn't behave the way you want them to behave. It changes all the time. It changes from place to place. It changes uh, because cities are very dynamic. And the way we look at that in Kandu, that the treatment doesn't start and end in the treatment plant. The treatment of wastewater is an holistic. You have to look at the whole system to make it more, much more efficient. And once you have a control and you can manage the wastewater quality, and starting from, from where the wastewater are uh, uh, getting into the system, then you can be much more efficient. Uh, then the treatment can be much more efficient. Can be you can treat the wastewater and control the wastewater quality much in, in a much better way. Yeah, and is is that essentially because if you're monitoring 
the quality of the wastewater, what's in the wastewater as it's coming through the conveyance system to the treatment plant, you're ready once that that wastewater hits the actual plant. Is that kind of the the thumbnail of it? Yeah, this is one aspect. So uh, once you know the wastewater quality before they reach the treatment plant, you can prepare yourself and can treat it better. But the most more interesting uh, things start when you know the sources of the changes of the wastewater quality. You know where it's coming from. Then you can start educate and work with those sources, with industrial sources or with other sources, to make sure that they improve the wastewater quality, to make sure that there are no changes in the future of the wastewater quality. So what actually we are doing, we are giving the data for the water utility who manage collection system to understand where the wastewater change is coming from. And that means that they can approach them, they can educate them, they can work with them together to make sure that those changes will not happen again. Yeah, yeah. And it would strike me that because uh, at, at the core of, of business, right, is that uh, businesses respond to price signals. And if you can use the data that you're developing to send those price signals, for example, if you're not going to change your, your effluent characteristics, then you're going to get charged a higher rate. Is that, is that what your customers are kind of looking at in, in terms of um, uh, using the information you're providing to, to not only proactively engage with those customers, but to set price, set rates for treatment? Is that that's exactly right, and and, and 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 I think the key point here is being proactive. Once you have this data about where your changes in the wastewater quality comes from, then you can start take decisions. One decision can be based on a, a, a making sure that they will pay for it and making a, a fees that can be, a, or maybe charging fees for the industrial sources, but other can be managing, but there's also other aspects you can do. Uh, what we work with our clients is how they can change the behavior of the sources upstream. And changing the behavior sometimes is only showing them the data. So once you have a data about changes in the wastewater quality and you approach your clients, you approach industrial sources and show them, you'll be surprised how much how much it helps the industrial to improve themselves. Because some of those changes in the wastewater quality even are not familiar for the sources that are creating them. Once we see a change in the wastewater quality, we bring that to our client, our client approaching the industrial sources, and that's create a change of behavior. What we see over time, that once you have the data, once you communicate that to industrial sources, we see the changes in the wastewater quality. And this is one of the factors we are following all the time with our clients. So the end goal is to improve the wastewater quality that reaches the treatment plant. Yeah, um, I, I think that it makes perfect sense. Um, so can you talk about how you deploy this? Stuff? I mean, if, you're, if the target is really industrial wastewater uh, producer, are you... Or I assume there's some, um, uh, you know, some sort of uh, uh, system you have for figuring out where sensors need to go and things like that. You know, so can you talk a little about how a utility that might be looking to to implement your system, what 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 kind of sensors are they going to need to put out there, and how many, and where, and that kind of thing? 
So uh, when we started, we had a vision. So through the collection of data from a collection system, we can bring the insight to clients so they can manage better their wastewater quality. And we started with implementing basing sensors uh, in a collection system. Um, very fast, we learned that it's not enough to collect data from sensors because data from sensors always tell you one specific parameters and there's so much happening in the collection system and there's so much changes happening there. We need to elaborate that and go into data analytics. And the next stage was to analyze data. To analyze data because uh, uh, collecting data from wastewater quality is very, very difficult mission. Uh, the conditions in the wastewater collection system are very harsh, maybe the harshest you can think of. And once you have sensors in the collection system, you need to not only to get the data, but you need to understand what these data say to, to you. And actually what we're doing, we learned uh, to... Uh, uh, we collect enough data through the time to translate what simple sensors tell us about the wastewater quality. So it's not about measuring one parameter, it's analyzing these parameters and learn from these parameters what those changes mean. So if we see a change, we analyze it and we can say who caused this change, when it happens and where it happens in the collection system and what will be the impact of this change on the treatment plant. And we bring the client the insights based on the data that we collect. Yeah, yeah. What are the important uh, things that you're monitoring? I mean, is it is it things like uh, phosphorus or total suspended solids or CBOD? What what are the important things to monitor? So the, we look at uh, what will impact our client, and what will impact our client will be nutrient, nutrient of course, that uh, will be nitrogen and phosphorus. And, 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 of course, organic load like COD and BOD. Metals will influence some client through the uh, sludge in the treatment plant. So we look on all these parameters, but the way we approach it, we are not measuring those parameters directly. We are measuring the indicative parameters in the collection system, parameters like pH, like electrical connectivity, like others. We analyze these data, and based on this analytics, we can predict what will be the influence on the treatment plant, but we can also predict what is the source of those changes in the wastewater quality. But once you start collecting data from collection system, you learn much more of that. You learn about uh, uh, infiltration for the sewer system. And if you measure quality, of course, you know what is the source of this infiltration, if it's coming from seawater, if it's coming from rainwater that goes into your system. So there's lot to learn about wastewater, about the wastewater, and there's a lot of uh, uh, measures that our client can take based on the data that we provide to them. Yeah, and so it's it's more than just uh, uh, identifying, you know, the what what are the uh, characteristics of the wastewater. You identified I and I. I would also imagine that uh, these these sensors and using the data can. Uh, be used in terms of kind of an infrastructure replacement program too. Exactly right, and and we and these data can support the asset management uh, in the water utility, and it support also uh, the ability to predict the corrosion in the collection system. So, data and order 
nuisance from the collection system. So once you have data from the collection system, you can learn a lot and you can create other values depending on the client's need. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you talk a little about uh, just the the uh, the the state of innovation in Israel? I mean, because we have we have. Uh, at least here in the States, you know, it's always, Israel is always pointed to as a country that, you know, has pioneered drip irrigation, for example, and has, has been very good with uh, its water stewardship. And I would just, I, I've not had anyone on, um, who has been able to speak directly to that. So I'm going to take advantage of having you on and, and ask you that question. Yeah. And, uh, David, I think you're right. Uh, Israel has, uh, a very good reputation in terms of innovation. And, and there's a few reasons for that, especially in water. Uh, the first reason is uh, that we strive to success in using new technologies. Uh, and, and this is a bit different approach with some other cultures that looking on the risk side of using new technologies. So when I'm approaching a client in Israel, a water utility in Israel, they will always ask me how you can provide me a new insight, how you can provide me a new success. Uh, and in, in some other cultures, you see how you can assure me that it won't fail. So uh, once you look at, a, at, at the opportunity from the technology uh, and not focusing on the ability to fail, that's motivate you to try new things. And, and, and trying new technology, and we say always that water utilities are risk-averse, and, and, and trying new technologies is not always a risk, but it has a lot of opportunity. And I think water utilities, especially in Israel, are focusing on the opportunity through using new technologies. And this is, of course, make us uh, entrepreneur in Israel life much easier. Other aspect of that in Israel, uh, of course, it came up of a necessity. There is no much water in Israel. The water belongs to the public, uh, so the government manages the water. And there's a lot of responsibility for the government to make sure that there's enough water, but also water in a good quality. Uh, and there's a lot of investment around that, a lot of investment of the government around technologies to make sure that the water are in good condition. And, and then there's, there's another aspect, uh, another aspect that, um, and I think this is something uh, related to the, um, the connection between technology providers and, and, and the water utilities. Um, in in uh, water utilities, SIP of technology provider as partners. Uh, and, and there is no def clear definitions as, as vendor and client. Uh, and once you see a technology provider as a client, there's a huge opportunity to build something together with, with, uh, with, the, uh, um, uh, with the client, with the water utility. And this is something we see that is, is changing now in the U.S. I think there is a, you see, you feel this change. I see more and more uh, uh, our partners, our clients, see that as a partners, and bring. Uh, just to give an example, how much opportunity that's open for us. Uh, one of our uh, partners, uh, our client here in the U.S., uh, we started a project a year ago, uh, and through the work together, we understood that uh, the implementation of the technology makes his employee 
much more technology savvy. They, they, they start to work with the application. They start to update all the GIS. They started to uh, uh, um, uh, keep the application open all the time and talk about the technology. Uh, and, and, and once we have an open conversation with, uh, with our clients, he said that he's, for years he's trying to keep his employee more technology. And now through using our technology, they become more involved in using technologies and even using other technologies. So once you have an open discussion and, and real partnership with your clients, you can build your offering together and make sure that, uh, that it works in the best way. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point that you're, you, you made there about uh, getting folks uh, comfortable with the technology and how that can, can increase adoption and things like that. What do you, what do you kind of see as uh, the, the future for, for digitization in uh, the, the wastewater sector? So I think digitalization now, um, I think it's uh, through the stage that it's clear to everyone that in order to manage our water, to manage our cities, we need to go farther and more into the digitalization. I think it's very clear to everyone. I think we, we, uh, we've been in the first stage of collecting data, and that's the first stage is using sensors, uh, is collecting data, and everybody things about digitalization as the sensors, as how we can collect data. I think now we are moving into the next stage. So we have data, what do we do with it? So how do we take decision through data? And, and the next stage is how do we influence all the organization uh, through the digitalization? And, 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 and this is just to give you one example. Uh, uh, another client of us in the US uh, we found out that through working based on the data and digitalization, that brings all the organization together. So the, the pre-treatment uh, unit works with the treatment plant because they have to communicate together on the results, on the data, and the, the customer service work with them together because they have to communicate this to the customers. And everyone works on the same platform, get the same data, and start to speak together in the organization so I think the next stage of the digitalization is combining all the organization, influence how the organization is working and, and bringing a, a, a new ability to communicate even in the organization. Furthermore, down the road, uh, at least our goal is to create a communication between organizations. Uh, water sector is, uh, is a very... I intimate sector, uh, I think, uh, and, and I'm sure you know that, David, it's a, uh, you meet the same people, uh, it's a very, uh, you meet the same places every time in WebTech and in ACE, and, and, and you start thinking that you know everyone, um, so it's, but there's hardly communication about knowledge transfer between what utilities. And I think the next stage on digitalization will not speak anymore about how you collect and analyze data in the utility is how do you share data? Because in wastewater, and I've seen that uh, now we are working in, of course, in Israel, but in Europe and, and in the U.S., uh, wastewater and wastewater is, is, is almost the same everywhere. And there's a lot of experience in water utilities that if you can share that, you can leverage this market in, in, uh, dramatically. Yeah. I, so I, I found it interesting. You said wastewater is 
almost is the same everywhere. Uh, I was, cause I was going to ask you, what are the geographic differences that you've, you found from, um, from, you know, from Israel to Europe to the U S are, are, are there any, any, does anything stand out rather than just the, the, the characteristics being generally the same? Are there any significant, you know, uh, things to, to, to notice there? Yeah. Surprisingly, uh, the wastewater looks and smells the same everywhere, <laughs> and and that is uh, uh, and and collection systems um, are maybe um, uh, the less developed uh, systems in every city around the world. So, looking in data and collection system, uh, that's no different any other place in the world that is the more, maybe the less developed. Uh, a, a, a network you can find in a city a, um, and the way it managed it's very similar and I think the challenges that we see all over the world are similar um, there is a difference of, of course on, in cultures and how uh, how it be managed it's sometimes different but uh, but it's the same challenges you see almost everywhere okay very good. So one um, one other thing that that I wanted to to ask about was I I, th- I think you're right that there is a set of utilities that are kind of on the leading edge that are getting into that phase two you kind of talked about. But is the, you know there's a digital divide. There are some utilities that are still largely paper based, uh, still. You know, seem to they they have not jumped on the digitalization train. What what are the implications for those types of utilities when for not digitizing? So, like everything in the water utility, it takes time and patience. Um, and uh, if you look back uh, ten or maybe fifteen years ago, and when we spoke about GIS, it's looked like um, like a dream. And there was a very advanced utility who adopt GIS. Now every utility have GIS and people working with GIS systems. Um, and, and I think this is something that will take time, but uh, all water utility will go through it. You see, and when you come to uh, conferences and exhibition, you see that uh, there are uh, things that happening in digitalization in all water utilities, even in those that are... Uh, the late bloomers, uh, and you see that uh, everyone adopting technologies. Um, but the, re- the, the issue is not around adopting technology. I think the issue is about how do you create excellence in what it is? How do you improve yourself in what it is? And, and this is the place uh, I think the water sector should focus on is not how to adopt new technologies, but how to make sure that you improve your service, how to make sure you improve the way uh, you operate and manage the system. And this is something we start more and more to see everywhere, people speaking about improving their service. Once you speak about improving the service, then technology is the natural way to, to, to do 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've talked a lot. You've, you've been terrific, Ari. I've, I've really appreciated the way you've described things and the, the benefits you've identified. One other thing, because we are in this COVID pandemic and you kind of alluded to it earlier. Uh, is there a way that, that, uh, wastewater can be used to identify hotspots? I think we all know that it, that it, that it can, but can you talk a little about how, uh, utilities can use these smart systems to, uh, uh, improve public health or, or identify public health issues. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's a opportunity, a great opportunity for all of us because we are all of us here uh, from the water sector, and we are getting very exciting from water and from wastewater. Uh, I love wastewater, and I know, uh, uh, and, and this is uh, uh, something that gets me very excited. Uh, but when I'm speaking with other people from the waste that are not from the wastewater sector. They don't understand what is what, what I'm so exciting from wastewater, and and now for the first time we can call, bring data from the wastewater that act, actually reflect everyone's life. It's the data from the wastewater. It's not only reflecting the wastewater utility operation. Now it will reflect everyone's life. So, ability to identify the COVID-19 virus in in uh, RNA. RNA in the wastewater can uh, affect everyone's lives and how we go to work and uh, how we send our children to school and, and how uh, we continue our normal, kind of normal life in this situation. And so it's a great opportunity for us in the wastewater and water sector to show the world how important is it and, and how uh, you can change life through data from the wastewater. Yeah. Terrific answer. Terrific answer. Uh, again, Ari, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have a parting message or a leave behind message, something you want the listeners to to take home with them? So I, I think my main message will be that, and, and coming from a, a country that uh, has really challenges in water is not to wait for the last minute to understand that there is a water crisis or you need to better manage your water, uh, not to wait for this situation, to continue improve uh, uh, the service and what you do all the time. And, and, and that will get you into the point that you will not be, that you will not have to wait for something bad to happen in order to, to manage it. Great. Well, thank you so much, Ari. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation again. I really appreciate you coming on, especially with the time differential. I know it's late for you. Uh, you know, for, for those folks who want to find out more about you, more about CanDo, where can they go to get that information? So we have a great website. Website is candu.echo. Excellent. So that's K-A-N-D-O dot E-C-O. That's it. All right. Uh, for those of you listeners at home, just go to kando.eco and you'll get uh, to the to the website and find out lots of information about Ari, lots of information about CanDo. Ari, thanks again so much for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, David. You bet. Bye. Well, terrific interview by Ari. I really liked his statements on viewing wastewater treatment from a holistic viewpoint and using the data and the analysis to improve system efficiencies on both operational and asset management standpoints. Well, let me know what you liked about the podcast. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values and tweet at me 
using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com and you can sign up for the newsletter uh, by Googling the Water Values Podcast and go to the the landing page, uh, which uh, Bluefield Research generously hosts for the Water Values. Um, Also, you can join our LinkedIn um, group just go to LinkedIn and search for the Water Values Podcast and it, it'll come up and just join on in. It's great. It's a great way to keep informed on the latest things of what's going on. Well, thank you again for tuning in and a huge thank you again to our sponsors. And the sponsors again include Black & Veatch, Ziptility, Intera, Xylem, and the American Water Works Association. Thank you very much to those great companies and organizations. In closing, Please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource. So please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.